Hello Church, a scripture reading is taken from Matthew 4, 12-25. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And excited to be able to continue diving in together uh, as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. And pray you're making available all the different resources that are there for you, the reading plan, all the other things. So excited to be able to dive in with you here. And for those who might be watching uh, on home, at home this weekend, excited to get into this as well. And there's a lot that's happening in chapter 4. Last week we, we looked at the temptation of Jesus and how significant that was to his ministry and to uh, just the context of the book of the Bible that we find in the Gospel of Matthew and that we saw how Jesus is our tempted Savior and why that matters for us. And then from that point on we, we dive into this passage that we just read looking at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And there's a lot that, that can be said about it and there's a lot within this text and we'll do our best to kind of hit what's happening here. Uh, but the best way I know to explain it is, is this. Uh, so a little over nine years ago something happened that, that changed my life, that changed my wife and I's life and that was our oldest son Jack being born. So he'll, he'll turn 10 later this year. Uh, but in the days coming up to Jack's birth 
we were excited, full of anticipation for this son who would come into our lives, and we were, couldn't wait. You know, we were telling people about him, and we were getting everything ready for his arrival and for his coming, uh, and had been, you know, sharing the news, and everybody's kind of waiting as you get closer those last few days. Is he here yet? Is he here yet? No, he's not here yet. And finally, he shows up on the scene Easter weekend, and just, you know, so excited to have him here. And I can just remember, as soon as we found out, the first thing we did was we told people. You know, we told family members, we told close friends that he was here and everybody was okay. Uh, and I can remember that in that moment, it wasn't just a moment of good news and shouting his arrival, but it was a moment that began to help me see that my life was never going to be the same again. Uh, and some of you have heard me tell this story before. So. We got home and it had been the weekend, and so I can remember sitting in our living room for the very first time on a Sunday. We weren't at church, obviously. We just had a baby, and so we were, I was sitting there, and Jack was in my lap, and I was watching a sermon online and just uh, was just so overwhelmed with joy that he was here, and we were having this awesome father-son moment, our first father-son moment, you know, taking in the goodness of the gospel together, and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and we just had this connection, and then he projectile spit up just all over me and it was in that moment I realized my life is never going to be the same again like everything has changed in this moment and it's going to reshape everything going forward and as, as we come into this passage tonight talking about Jesus public ministry beginning it's important to know and important to see what Jesus came to do and what Jesus ministry was all about and as Jesus came on the scene, he was on the scene proclaiming the arrival of something. And he came to establish something that would forever change the world. It would change the way in which people follow Jesus and follow God. And that thing is the kingdom of God. And that's, that's the big truth tonight that we want to wrestle through is that Jesus came to proclaim and establish a new kingdom. Jesus came to proclaim and establish a new kingdom. And that's not the only thing that he came to do, but that's what we see in this passage. And there's a lot of action. There's a lot of moving around. There's a lot of details about cities and things happening. But the central theme that unites this passage in chapter 4 is this idea that Jesus has come to talk about and make known that a new kingdom has come on the planet Earth. And not just to make it known that it's coming, but to establish it, to bring it about, to bring it into reality. And we see that a couple times here in this text. The first one is verse 17 of chapter 4. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom, this new kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or in your Bible, it might say that the kingdom of heaven has now come near. And we see that this is his message again later on in this passage that we read. Looking at verse 23, it says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel or the good news of what? The kingdom. And healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so we see the central theme of this passage is that Jesus has come to proclaim, to tell about, and to establish a new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God that had been long expected and prophesied and promised was now here. And the message that he was preaching and the message that he was teaching and the good news that he was proclaiming is that the kingdom of heaven has come. 
That's really, really important for us as we get not only into chapter 4, but in the coming chapters. In fact, the next several weeks as a church family, we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. Maybe Jesus' most famous message, his most famous sermon. And that sermon that we're going to take weeks to walk through is a sermon about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? How do we live in light of the kingdom of God? And the tension that I want us to begin to wrestle through tonight and that we're going to carry over into the coming weeks is is this tension and this question. What kingdom are you living for? What kingdom am I living for? That everyone here tonight, everyone watching this or listening to this is living for a kingdom. You're building a kingdom with your life. The question is, is it the kingdom of God or is it the kingdom of me? The kingdom of self. What kingdom are you living for? Jesus came to proclaim and establish a new kingdom. And it's really important to see that he came to establish not a new religion, but a new kingdom. It wasn't the world was absent, didn't have enough religions, so Jesus came to start a new religion called Christianity. No, that's not what he came to do. He came to proclaim and establish a new kingdom. Religion is about men trying to get to God. The kingdom is the good news that God has made a way to come to us. And that is the good news of the gospel that Jesus came to proclaim. Religion is about us trying to improve ourselves. Jesus and his kingdom is about us admitting that we can't. It's recognizing that we can't improve ourselves, so we need someone else to come and change us from the inside out. God's kingdom is not about what people expected it to be about. People are looking for a kingdom that would be built on politics and power. And we even see today in our own culture, people longing for a kingdom to be built on new politics and new power, that that's the savior that they're hoping in. But that's not Jesus' kingdom. It wasn't built on race or ethnicity. The Jews were hoping that Jesus would come and establish Israel, establish the Jewish people and break them out of tyranny of the Roman government and set the nation back up. But Jesus' kingdom is not about a nation or a race. People were hoping that it would be built on religion, right? Moral living or maybe social reform. That's not the kingdom that that Jesus came to build, came to establish. It's not the kingdom he invites us into. Jesus came to proclaim and establish, no, a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven, where God's rule and reign that is happening now over the whole universe and that is happening in heaven, that a piece of that, a picture of that would come down and begin happening on earth. And this is the same message that that John had been preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but now Jesus comes on the scene. And it's important as we read the context In verse 12, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, so John's ministry had decreased. If you've been reading it all through the Gospel of John, you know he said that. I must decrease so that he must increase. Now John's ministry is going away. He's been preparing the way. Now Jesus is stepping in to say, the kingdom of heaven is now near. It has come for us, for you and for me. And so we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks what this kingdom looks like, but we want to begin to wrestle through tonight. 
Are you, am I, are we living for Jesus' kingdom or are we living for our kingdom? What are you trying to build with your life? What's the kingdom that you're talking about to your kids, to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to your friends? What kingdom are you pouring your time, your effort, your energy, your, your emotion, your love into? Everyone's life is built around proclaiming and establishing some kind of kingdom. The question is, what kingdom? The way we begin to know if we're living for Jesus' kingdom is by understanding what his kingdom looks like. What are the defining markers of his kingdom? Which leads to a really important question that this text addressed that we're going to walk through over our time together tonight. And here's the question. What does the kingdom of Jesus look like? What does the kingdom of Jesus look like? What does the kingdom of heaven look like? If we get a picture to see what the kingdom of heaven is all about, then we can look at our own lives compared to that picture and say, does it line up? Do the things that that Jesus is about, the things that Jesus has made known, are those the things that we are building our lives around? So brothers and sisters, what I want to challenge you to do is we're going to walk through this text again, and I just want to pull out some of the marks of Jesus' kingdom, the marks of the kingdom of heaven, the things that Jesus was about, that Jesus came to establish, that Jesus came to make known. And as we walk through these big ideas, I just want to invite you just between you and the Holy Spirit tonight to begin asking the question, is this important to me? Is this marker alive in my life? If it's something I'm passionate about, is it something that I'm living for? Is it something I'm trying to build? Where maybe for some of us, or even for many of us, maybe we've let some of the subtle things of this world infiltrate our heart. And without knowing it, Jesus has become a part of our lives, but his kingdom has not become the main focus of our lives. It's an opportunity for us to repent, to return So what does the kingdom of Jesus look like? I want to quickly walk through this passage and just bring out several big ideas this evening. And then tonight we're going to close our time, just an elder conversation, just begin to talk about practically what does that look like a little bit for us as a church in the following days uh, in 2021. So let's just dive right in. Marks of the new kingdom, several. First one is this. Jesus' kingdom shines light into the darkness. Jesus' kingdom shines light into the darkness. Jesus' kingdom is about taking the light of the good news of the gospel into darkened places, and we see that in verses 12 on. It says, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in this territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what might be spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. This is so important. We've talked a lot about this through Advent. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. Jesus' kingdom shines light into the darkness. When we see these city names, they don't really resonate with us. It doesn't really seem to make a big difference. Why is Jesus going from Nazareth to Capernaum? What, what's the deal with that? Why does that matter? But for Matthew, this matters a lot. In fact, so important that he's drawing it out in the text for us. 
because this has been promised, this has been prophesied. So this region of Capernaum where Zebulun and Naphtali, which were original 12 tribes, was Israel, this was the darkest place spiritually of the nation of Israel. So if you go all the way back to the book of Judges, one of the commands that God had given his children was that they were not to intermingle, they were not to intermarry. They were not to allow foreigners into their families. They were to remain steadfast and pure and separate for the Lord their God. But what we see in the book of Judges is they intermarried. And of all the different tribes in Israel, these two, Zebulun and Naphtali, that they were, uh, the two tribes, uh, they were uh, in the middle of this more than any other. And so this promise, this prophecy that we see in Isaiah chapter 9, when it's talking about the people in darkness, of all the areas of Israel, this was considered the most spiritually dark area. And now Jesus is relocating his ministry, relocating his life to operate out of this region of darkness. This is where he's going to begin to proclaim the good news. And what's the good news? Bringing light to the people who dwell in deep darkness. The people who are in the shadow of death. So just a couple points of application for us this evening. One, no one is outside the reach of the gospel. This area would have been thought to be, no one can go there, no one can penetrate, no one can change this area, but this is where Jesus goes. This is good news for us. That if the gospel can break into the darkest places, if the gospel can break into your heart and my heart and your life and my life, then the gospel can break in anywhere. That there's no one outside the reach of the gospel, amen. There's no one too far gone that God cannot save them. And in the middle of deep darkness is where Jesus breaks in. And we as God's people are called to carry the light of the truth of the gospel into the darkness around us. We've been placed here in this life to do that very thing. So Jesus' kingdom shines light into the darkness. Second big idea is this. Jesus' kingdom exists for the good of the nations. Jesus' kingdom, it exists for the good of the nations. It's not just about light into all the darkness, but light to the nations. So this phrase in this passage is really, really important. Verse 15, quoting from Isaiah chapter 9, it says, Galilee of the Gentiles. Or your translation might say, Galilee of the nations. And this passage in Matthew 4 is pivotal to the book. Because when we get to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' great commission that he's going to give is to go make disciples of who? Of all nations. And so Matthew's framing something for the reader. He's framing something for us. And it's this idea that, that he is going to come and bring a light, not just to the people of Israel, but to all nations, every tribe, every tongue. And then he's going to raise up disciples who will go out and carry on that message. So one of the things I I love about our church is we're a church who cares about the nations. We're a church who cares about getting the gospel to the nations. And friends, during these days, and these have been heavy days for our country, we should care about our country. We should be burdened about our nation. We should be burdened about what's happening here. We should pray that God would bring revival here in and through us. But we shouldn't become so focused on our nation that we forget the nations. 
that God's gospel purposes are bigger than just the United States. They are talking to all people, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and we have the opportunity to be involved in that. So part of living for Jesus' kingdom, this kingdom of heaven, is about being concerned for the lost people around the world who have no access to the gospel. And so in 2021, we have an opportunity to pray for the nations. We have an opportunity to give like we've never given before so that people might go. And for some of us, we're going to have the opportunity to go. Even this week, we're so excited. We've had the Costleys with us, and our elders got to spend some time this week and praying for them. They're going back to Zambia, Africa this week to take the gospel to the nations. And so we get to be a part of sending them in our prayers that many more from our church would be sent so that we can be a part of God's kingdom work. Jesus' kingdom exists for the good of the nations. Third big idea, third marker of Jesus' kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is marked by repentance. Jesus' kingdom is marked by repentance. Look at verse 17. I read it earlier. From this time, Jesus began to preach saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Friends, this is so important, and we're going to chase this next week and a lot through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, because the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon of repentance, that the way that we see the world and the way that our heart sees God is wrong, and so we must repent, we must turn, we must go a different way, and this is the message that Jesus comes to proclaim. This is important, because a lot of times when we think about the gospel, we are afraid to call people to repent, people to turn from what they're pursuing to turn and pursue God because that's offensive. It it, it stands in the way of people. It's an assault to their pride or ego because it's saying what you're putting your hope in and the direction you're going is the wrong thing. You've been deceived, so turn. But this is Jesus' message repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand repent because the kingdom of God it's come near turn from your striving turn from what you're chasing and follow Jesus and it's important for us as a church today to recognize this same message see repentance is the initial response of someone who gives their life to follow Jesus but it's not just the initial response this is important friends Repentance is the ongoing response of someone who has given their life to Jesus. If there's not regular repentance happening in our lives, we need to question whether or not we are Jesus followers. Because the life of someone who follows Jesus is a life that is marked by regular repentance. Regular recognizing that our heart leads us astray. Regular recognizing that we've not loved God with our all, that we've not loved our neighbor of ourselves, and we're turning back. God, help us turn back. And we see this throughout the New Testament. We see this in passages like Romans 12.1 that says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do you present your body as a living sacrifice to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed, verse 2 will say. And that transformation is a continual, ongoing change. Not being conformed to the world is a continual change in the life of a Jesus follower. 
And in Luke 18, as Jesus gives this example of the Pharisee and of sinner, the tax collector, and their prayers. He says, the tax collector, the one who's justified, prays like this, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Someone who recognizes their need. Friend, do you recognize your need for Jesus? Ray Ortland, a, a pastor and an author, says this, repentance is giving up on ourselves and turning to Jesus. That's a regular rhythm in the Christian life. Are you, am I, doing that? But not only is Jesus' kingdom marked by repentance, next big idea is this, Jesus' kingdom is marked by obedience. It's marked by obedience. Verse 19, and he said to them, follow me. What is that? It's a command to obey. A command to obey. And I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20, immediately, this is an obedience word, immediate action. They left their nets, they followed him. Verse 22, we see another encounter. Immediately after he called them, they left their boat and they followed him. God calls us to obey. To obey what? His word. Again, this passage sets up the end of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus will give the Great Commission. He says, we're to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then what does it say? Teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. Part of living for Jesus' kingdom is continual obedience to this word. Constantly trying to understand it. Constantly trying to study it so that we might obey it. Jesus talks about this. He says in John's gospel, John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not you might keep my commandments. You will. You will walk in obedience to me. So Jesus' kingdom is marked not just by repentance, it's marked by obedience. And obedience is immediate action, immediate response. I was talking to my sons the other day, I came in their room, they were wanting to go play a game, and I said, before you play a game, you need to clean your room. Then I walked away and I came back a few minutes later, and guess what, it hadn't been cleaned? Their room, their room was just as messy as before. And I said, I thought you guys want to play this game. They said, yeah, we do. And I said, well, what did I tell you need to do? I said, well, you said to they clean our room. We're going to. We're getting ready to. And I responded to them. Dad quotes what I learned from my father. You know, disobedience is not immediately obeying what you've said. And that's the same thing that we've called to. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Sorry, that's, that's the better phrase. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And this is what God's called us to, to follow him and obey him immediately in what he has called us to, to try to love his word. The book of Ecclesiastes ends like this. It says, the end of all the matter has been heard and is this, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. We're called to obey. Jesus' kingdom is marked by obedience. Next big idea, just moving right along. Jesus' kingdom is made up of a people with a new identity. Jesus' kingdom is made up of a people with a new identity. I would love to unpack this, and we don't have the time to do it. But look at what he says. He says in verse 19, he said to them, Follow me, and I will do what? Make you fishers of men. Now, he's speaking to fishermen. 
Now he's using a play on words, a metaphor describing what their lives are going to be like, that instead of pursuing this vocation through fishing, they're going to be pursuing men and drawing men to God. But I don't want us to miss what Jesus is also saying here. What he's saying is, I'm going to give you a new identity. You were fishermen. Now you're going to become fishers of men. And when God saves us and he brings us into his kingdom purposes, he gives us a new identity. You are no longer an accountant. You're a fisher of men. You're no longer a stay-at-home mom. You're a fisher of men. You're no longer a student. You're a fisher of men. You're no longer a doctor. You're a fisher of men. When God saves us, he gives us a new identity and a new purpose in his kingdom. And so whatever your vocation is, that's not your identity. Your identity is one of God's representatives, making him known, calling people to come and follow him. Jesus gives us a new identity. And his kingdom is made up of people who have this new identity. There used to be a guy in our church named Nick Nave a long time ago. But it was a reminder to him in conversations of what his identity was. His purpose was to come and tell people about Jesus. This is your identity and mine. Next big idea. We're just going to keep moving on. Jesus' kingdom is marked by sacrifice and surrender. Six. Jesus' kingdom is marked by sacrifice and surrender. Verses 20 through 22, we see that he calls these men and asks them to follow him and look at their response. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. They left their vocation behind. They followed. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother, with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And they called them, and immediately they left their boats and their father and followed him. This is important, friends. If we're going to live for God's kingdom, if we're going to be Jesus' followers, if we're going to build his kingdom and not our kingdom, our lives must be marked by sacrifice and surrender to lay down what's close to us and dear to us for something that's more dear, for a greater treasure, as Jesus will talk about later. They left everything behind. This is the life of the disciple When it says they followed him, they weren't just following his example. They were literally following him. They laid their lives behind. They left their vocation, their friends, and their families. And they just devoted their life to following Jesus. A disciple means to be a student. And in this day, someone who was a student was an apprentice. They would follow their teacher, their rabbi around and learn from them, learn their way of life, learn their their teaching, and then begin to live it out. It's a life solely devoted to one. And for us, we've been called to live lives of sacrifice and surrender as we follow Jesus. And even in this passage, Jesus confronts three of the greatest idols that are in the South and that are in our church and in our lives. Let's give them to you quickly. One is passivity. Passivity. We would rather wait than sacrifice. We like being involved, but not like being held accountable. We like being around, but let it be on someone else's shoulders. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to follow me. You've got to lay it down. Another idol that confronts us is the idol of success. 
vocation, achievement. As far as we know, that, that them having the nets and having the boat and the father's fishing business, they probably were pretty good. They probably did very well. It's not royalty job, but they had a good job. They left it behind to follow Jesus. One of the idols that we face is the idol of our success, our achievement. It drives our lives. We want Jesus to be a part of our lives, but we give ourselves the pursuit of having more and building better. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to lay that down. Another idol that he confronts here is the idol of, and I'm going to be important, this is important, the idol of family. Notice who they leave, their father. And don't get me wrong, I, I am a father with four kids. I've been a family pastor at this church for many years. I love families. I believe in the family. I believe that through the family, the great commission is carried out. But, but parents in the room, if we're not careful, we make idols out of our kids and their success. And here they deny themselves. They leave their father behind. They leave it all behind to follow Jesus. Whose kingdom are you trying to build? Jesus' kingdom or your kids? Jesus' kingdom or your kingdom? Let me give you one final big idea. It's this. Jesus' kingdom carries hope to the broken and the needy. Jesus' kingdom it carries hope to the broken and the needy. The last few verses here are so crucial. It says, And he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So a part of Jesus' ministry and a part of his kingdom is to take the good news to those who are broken and needy, to bring hope to those who are outside the family of God. That's our calling as well. And notice the way that Jesus does that. That he does that through healing. He's meeting physical needs. He does that to people with afflictions. Those are people with emotional needs. They're oppressed. And then he's also casting out demons. He's meeting spiritual needs. He's teaching about the new kingdom of God. He's teaching the good news of the gospel, it said. And we too have been called to meet people's physical needs, to meet people's emotional needs, but ultimately to meet their spiritual needs. That a kingdom life cares about these things. It's a life that focuses on the good of others, not just the good of ourselves. That's why we've been called to love God with our all, to bring glory to Him, but then also to love our neighbor as ourselves. Seven big ideas, seven marks of the kingdom. And so in conclusion tonight, I just want to ask you this question again. What kingdom are you living for? What kingdom are you building? What kingdom have you given your heart and your energy and your life to? And my prayer would be that even tonight that the Lord and the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to help us to say, I want to be about this kingdom. For some of you that might mean even tonight responding in repentance. Say, these marks don't line up with the things I'm giving my life to. Again, the good news of the gospel is not that we have come to pursue God, to save ourselves, to make a way to Him, but God made a way to come to us. And this kingdom has a central figure, and His name is Jesus, the Son of God who's come to give Himself to you and to me. So I just want to invite you just to bow your heads where you are. And
It's an opportunity for you to respond, and we're going to respond through singing. Just where you are, what kingdom are you living for? And even in this moment, to ask the Lord would help you to live for His kingdom. There might be some pride, some personal ambition that's become a barrier to you to following Jesus. Maybe you look at these and you say, I've never lived for that kingdom. If you, that's an opportunity to repent. God, help me. God, save me. God, forgive me. Help me to trust in Jesus. Help me to follow Jesus, Lord. Give me a new heart, a new mind. God, change my priorities. Lord, help me. Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray that we would become the kind of church who lives for your kingdom. Kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, that these realities that we've talked about tonight and we're going to see over the course of the coming weeks become true of us and our pursuit. Change us, O oh God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just want to invite you to stand and join us as we sing. And we're going to have an elder conversation. And these elder conversations are uh, get to be with David Brewer tonight and my dad. And just these guys are, are representation of our elder oversight team. And our elder oversight team helps serve and lead our church family when it comes to directions and decisions and just serving you guys. And we're accountable to you uh, and we want to serve you well. And so as we're talking about living for the kingdom of God and uh, I know that was a lot to take in in, in one night, uh, and I'm excited that we'll be able to pack, unpack some of these things in the coming weeks. We want to take a few minutes to talk about how do we, as an elder oversight team and as a church family, how do we pursue living for God's kingdom in 2021? Because again, we just recognize there's some challenges. Where we were a year ago, we were not meeting on Saturday nights and wearing masks and all those kinds of things in. So we recognize following Jesus has always had challenges, but in this season, what does that look like as we move forward? So we just want to be able to speak to a few different things uh, that are happening in our church so that you can be informed and engaged and be able to ask questions. And so um, I'm going to set it up to these guys to be able to kind of give some direction to us as we guide our hearts. But let me just remind us of a, of a few things. One, we believe that every Jesus follower has been called to study the Word to connect in community, to, to be with other brothers and sisters living out the gospel alongside each other. We believe that every family is called to equip their sons and daughters and their, their family members to love and follow Jesus. We believe that we're called to gather together physically as the people of God for worship. But we recognize these are seasons where that's challenging. And so we're going to continue to offer study groups and life groups as a means to be able to be in community and to study the Word together. Some of those will be happening physically, some of those will be happening virtually, but those options are going to continue on. Uh, we're still going to offer the family discipleship plan so that parents, you can lead at home and you're resourced to do that. Uh, we're going to continue uh, to figure out ways to pursue one another, and one of the ways that we're going to be doing that is on Wednesday nights, starting on February 10th, we're going to begin to offer in-person discipleship opportunities again every week on Wednesdays. 
So practically, that looks like AIM for children and launch for teenagers and study groups for adults. Uh, it will be modified, so it's going to look a little different than it has in the past, just so that we can be six feet apart from one another and have uh, a safe environment. Uh, so it'll be a shortened time. Instead of being normally from 6.30 to 8, it'll be 6.30 to 7.30, uh, and it'll look different. But we want to let you know that if you're uh, here and you're saying, I really want to pursue the Lord as a whole family together in person, that that opportunity is coming. While it's still coming, recognize that for some that'll be a challenge or it won't be doable. And so I would love to just ask you guys to, to jump in at this point. And David, I'll, I'll just start with you. So um, pursuing, studying the Word together and being in biblical community together are challenging in this season. So for somebody who's here tonight wrestling through how do I do that well, what, what advice would you give them? Well, I would first just say it, it does need to continue to be a priority to press into community, um, whether that be life groups or study groups or other forms of community. And, uh, you know, we say before, learning truth together is critical. Living out truth together is critical. And, and Paul, tonight, really when I was thinking about your sermon in the kingdom of God, there's a connection to me with that message and community that I really hadn't thought deeply about before, and that is you really gave us a, an encouraging reason as to why the priority of community is so important. Um, when we think about what happens, what takes place when we connect with one another in community, one of the things it does, whether we realize this consciously or subconsciously, I don't know, I hope more consciously going forward, it raises our awareness of the kingdom of God. It really does. I mean, the kingdom of God is here now. He's ruling and reigning uh, now. It is advancing every day. Every person that turns to Christ in repentance and faith is an advancement of the kingdom of God. Right. And one thing that happens when I connect, when you connect, when we connect with each other in community, we have a visible reminder of the reality of the kingdom of God. We have a visible reminder when we see each other virtually or in person that Jesus is alive, that we share a hope, a living hope in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I just step back and think about, you know, how important is that? That really is a huge benefit of community. Um, for me to, to be faced with the truth constantly that I'm looking into the eyes of other people that are like me, part of another kingdom. That our citizenship is not here, it's somewhere else. That we, as we connect to each other, are ambassadors from another kingdom to this world. And, and I really honestly haven't thought about how community makes that connection to the kingdom of God, but thank you for the message tonight and, uh, and for, the, for the scripture. I, I think that's, that highlights why it is still vital that that's we right. continue to press in and pursue. That's good. Dad, why don't you speak to the equipping our families piece? We just recognize again, families are tired. 
virtual school, kids at home, working, all those kind of things, it makes it hard in these days to say, and how do I prioritize this thing? Why should I? So why don't you give some encouragement uh, to just equipping at home? All right. Well, let me take us to a portion of Scripture in Galatians chapter 6, verses uh, 7 through 10. Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. If we sow to the flesh, he says, we will reap of the flesh corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, we will reap of the Spirit toward everlasting life. And he goes on to say, and let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart, if we do not give up, if we do not quit. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Now listen, no matter how you slice it, whether you are involved in discipling your children or your family at home, or whether you're involved in discipling someone within the church, it's hard work spiritually. It is. It requires time. It requires effort. It requires intentionality. And the fact of the matter is people don't always respond readily or, uh, or even favorably sometimes to our discipleship. Think about parents with their children. Sometimes you want to bang your head against the wall because your children just don't seem to be getting it. I'm sure Jesus in the, if he had, could get in the flesh, he would have felt that way with his disciples at times. But, you know, obviously in our flesh, we can become apathetic. We can become complacent. We can become spiritually lazy with regard to the responsibilities that God has given us to disciple those uh, in our family or in the church. And, 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 you know, the fact of the matter is, these are not characteristic of the, uh, of, the, of the faithful servant leader in the home or the faithful servant leader in the church. Paul says, listen, if we cave to the flesh, and the desire of the flesh, we're going to reap corruption. You don't want that in your family. But if we, if we, uh, if we yield to the Spirit, if we, if we sow to the, uh, to the Spirit, we will re reap a life that is praiseworthy. And when Paul goes on to say, as we have opportunity, let us do good, he is acknowledging the fact that, you know, we only have one shot at this life. So make the most of it. Make it count. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 5. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Listen, the days we live in, have always lived in, there's evil all around us. We need to make our lives count. That's really good. And, and the reason why I want to talk about these things, we recognize these are challenges that you're facing. These are challenges that our body is facing right now. How do we prioritize these things and lean into it? But it does matter in these moments how we live, what we prioritize, what we put first. And so, 
the idea of community, the idea of helping serve and lead our families. And again, we want to come alongside you in that. We put resources together, life groups, study groups. We're going to bring back some programming starting in February on Wednesday nights to help you as a whole family pursue Jesus. Uh, and then the last one that we mentioned is gather. We want to continue to hold up the gathering and want to let you know about one shift that's going to come up in a few weeks. Uh, we are going to be moving this service, this gathering, off our normal gathering schedule and go to just three on Sunday morning. Uh, we recognize that right now for our church family that we can do that in a way that's conducive to be able to serve everyone who's gathering with us on the weekends. And so that shift's going to be happening on February 7th. So we're a few weeks out from that, so it gives you some time to kind of think through when you want to come. But we would encourage you, our Sunday morning 8 o'clock service, uh, 8 a.m. may not sound like fun to be a part of, uh, but if you're looking to be a part of a gathering where you can spread out like you're doing right now, it is our least attended service of the weekend. You can probably guess why. Uh, and so there's plenty of space for you to come and be in a place like this where you can spread out multiple roles and be kind of separated from other people. Uh, so we've been very thankful for our media team in the back and our worship team and our preaching pastors who are here for gatherings every single weekend and recognize it's a strain for them and their families to be able to do that and we think we can be able to serve this faith family through three gatherings as well as we currently do through four. So that's going to be coming on February 7th uh, so you can look ahead and plan to that and if we get to a point where we feel like we need to go back to four we will because we want to serve our church family and give you an opportunity to gather for worship but we want to let you know that that change is coming in the, in the next few weeks as well. So let's just speak to one more issue tonight. And we recognize that with everything going on, different environments for worship, masks, all kinds of stuff, social distancing, politics, there's all kinds of easy ways for us to become disunified, discouraged, that following Jesus is going to require unique sacrifices in these seasons that we've never, this season we've never had to face before. So David, why don't you just speak to unity? Why, why should unity be on our minds, on our hearts? How, how can we begin to think that way as a body? Yeah, uh, well, it's a priority again because scripture makes it a priority, so that's true. I wish it was just as easy as, say, as saying, hey, let's all be unified um, at any point in time. But uh, scripture doesn't just leave it at that, pursue unity. It, it actually gives us some proclamation to tell us how to do that. Effectively. And again, I'll just go back to when the kingdom of God and the glory of God is central, uh, unity typically is present. Um, I, uh, I think about just the so many things that cause me to fail to seek first the kingdom of God. And, you know, as someone who lives like you do in this world, as an ambassador from another kingdom, um, I'm faced with trials and tribulations. There's things that swirl around me like they are for you. And my failure most typically is my failure to view things through the lens of someone who is a part of another kingdom. So I get wrapped up in the world as if this is my world and I'm not part of anything else. And that makes such a big difference, that perspective. Um, let me just give you an example real quick. What is it? This week, Wednesday, we have a, another presidential inauguration. 
when that happens, I'll be prompted to pray a lot of things for a lot of different reasons. I hope and I, I plan on Wednesday, I believe it is, to look at that inauguration and through the lens of somebody that says, you know what? Paul just preached that the inauguration of the kingdom of God came into this world by the person Jesus Christ when he said this kingdom is now at hand over 2,000 years ago. We've never, the kingdom that I'm a part of, we've never had to have another inauguration for anybody to change places. <laughs> it's been Christ and it's him all on it. So uh, that's a perspective. So as I go in and engage with things that are going on in our world, I have that perspective and it helps me, or I should have, but I often don't. And so one of the things I think we have to do to fight for unity, Paul, is what you started the, before you even started preaching, you said we are to live a life of repentance and faith. And, and that is so true. Turning from self, turning to God. Turning from self, turning to God. As you have received the Christ, Lord Jesus, so walk ye in him. So repentance and faith is a practical. And then let me just give one more from Scripture. Ephesians chapter uh, 6 verse 3 says that we are to maintain, we are to endeavor to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So we don't build unity, we don't create unity, we just take the unity that God's provided us and we, we maintain it, is what he says. Right before he says that phrase, there is the phrase that says, bear with one another That's in right. love. Mm -hmm. Now, I want you to think about it. That's not the phrase that says bear one another's burdens. It's not their burdens you're bearing. It's them. <laughs> it's them you're bearing. You bear one, with one another in love and maintain the unity of the Spirit. Endeavor to maintain. So, Paul, you and Gene and I served together as part of this leadership. I hope we serve together a really long time. If we do, and we plan to, there will be times where I will annoy and frustrate you. And, <laughs> and you need to bear with me in love, right? I mean, why would we ever be told to bear with one another in love if God didn't know? There's going to be times when you guys are going to annoy and frustrate each other. Um, bear one another with love. How do we do that? All right, look right after the verse of maintaining the unity of the Spirit. That's where the Scripture is read that we have one body, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit, one hope, one God and Father of all. He takes us right to the things he's given us to be unified around so that we can bear with one another in love on those things that cause tension and frustration between us. So I think that is Scripture's way of practically showing us here's how you get that done. And, it's, and it, a lot of it is about perspective. That's good. Take a minute, Dad, and speak to the sacrifice part of that. So it's a pursuit of unity, but it's also a willingness to sacrifice for that unity. So how do we do that? Give us a couple thoughts. Well, Jesus said to his disciples that we are to love one another as he has loved us. Now think about that for a minute. I mean, that's a pretty tall order when you really consider it, to love one another as Christ has loved us, and yet it must be doable in the power of the Holy Spirit or he wouldn't have commanded us to do that, right? 
Secondly, I think it's important for us to, to think about, well, if we're going to love one another as Christ has loved us, then we, that begs the question, how does Christ love us? Let me give you a few thoughts about that. First of all, he loves us with a pursuing love. Now think about it. The whole Bible, from Genesis to Maps, is the story of God pursuing man. Not man pursuing God. Man pursuing God is what the world calls religion. God pursuing man is what the Bible calls redemption and reconciliation. And so it's no, it's no wonder in, in 1 John we read, uh, we love God because what? He first loved us. Or in the Gospels where it says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That, the, the incarnation is a picture of God's pursuit of man. And so that also causes us to ask the question, in what ways are we pursuing one another in love? Let me give you an example. If you're part of a life group, you're pursuing one another in love by praying for one another, by encouraging one another, by exhorting one another. You go, the list goes on and on as a part of a life group. Now, listen, if you're not part of a life group, you may have a valid reason why you can't be. But here's the question. Are you not part of a life group because you don't love one another? You love maybe yourself or your time or, or whatever, something more than you love one another? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. He also loves with an unconditional love. No one knows it better than I, but there was nothing about me that was worthy of Christ's love. Nothing. And yet he loves me. And he perseveres in his love for me, even when I'm slow to respond. And so here's a question we need to ask ourselves. Do we only love those whom we find it easy to love? Or are we willing to love those who we consider hard to love because Jesus loves them? A, second, a third thing is we, uh, his love is an intentional love. You see, Jesus chooses to love us not out of sentimentality, but out of intentionality. He uh, cho chooses to love us to, with a purpose in order to make us more like himself, to, to draw us toward Christ's likeness. And here's the question we can ask ourselves, is how are we showing intentionality in our love for one another? Are we, are we loving one another toward Christ's likeness? Is that our purpose? And then his love is also a sacrificial love. He came not only to serve, but to give his life a ransom for many. It says over in Hebrews that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame. It cost Jesus something to love us. It cost him a lot. And you know what? If you're going to be a Jesus follower, if you're going to love one another, it's going to cost you and me something as well. And we need to ask ourselves the question, are we willing to make that investment in others? So recognize it was a command that Jesus gave us to love one another as he has loved us, not, not a suggestion that he has given us. And we must recognize that if we're going to love others, uh, it really, it, the way we love others is really a test of our fellowship with God. 
It says in 1 John 4, 7, and 8, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is, uh, is born of God and knows God. Now listen to this. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. In other words, we can't say that we love God if we don't have love for one another. That's good words from the word. And so what we wanted to be able to do tonight is we just recognize as we come into a new year, there's a lot of challenges that we're all facing, tensions we're facing as a church family to be able to speak to those. So we want to encourage you to pursue fight for unity in these days, to be willing to sacrifice for God's glory, for the good of your brothers and sisters. So here's how we're going to close tonight. Uh, I'm going to ask David to pray for us. Uh, this past week we had team night and with our leaders, we just encouraged them to in these days we're praying that as a church family we would abide like never before, resting in Jesus, trusting in him, that we would persevere like never before. There are trials around us and trials in the days ahead. And that we'd proclaim like never before that in the places that God's called us to that we'd be faithful to carry the good news of the gospel. So David, I'm going to ask you to pray for us and then we'll be dismissed tonight. So would you pray for our church family? Lord, it's been a good night. Thank you. It's uh, just thank you for your word. Thank you for the message we heard. Uh, Forgive us for so often forgetting that your kingdom is alive and well that Jesus is alive, that it makes a difference in how we approach every day, approach every individual situation in our life. And so, Lord, because we are part, a part of your kingdom, uh, we recognize that we cannot be effective ambassadors for you and we cannot grow in maturity if we don't abide, if we don't spend time with the one who has sent us on a mission to represent you in this world. We need time with you, Lord. So help us abide in prayer, in your word. Make that more important to us than any other time we would spend in the day. Lord, we... uh, We need to, as well, persevere uh, in that we know how revelation ends. We know that your kingdom will continue, it will advance, it will grow, and it will culminate one day in finality. We pray, as you've taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. Your kingdom is here at hand, and it still is to come. It grows. So we persevere knowing that. And then we proclaim, uh, we can't be ambassadors, Lord, if we, don't, if we don't represent the message of the kingdom that we represent. And so uh, we must proclaim, we will proclaim, we want your glory to spread and grow across the face of this earth. Uh, may it be so, Lord. And however you can use us to accomplish that, We ask you to, and we pray that we will live a life of repentance and faith in humble obedience to you. And it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.